Hey folks, it's your boy Noir. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Cigars and Crypto, episode 80. I had an opportunity to speak with one of my favorite people in crypto, Elsa Ramon. We talked about how she got into crypto, her red pill moment, blockchain and freedom around the world. I want to send a special shout out to Alex Edelman, Trilali, and Mazacoin. We mentioned you guys in our episode. And I have to say thank you so much to Noir Coin for supporting me and sponsoring my show. You guys need to check them out at noirofficial.org. That's noirofficial.org or find them on Twitter at Noircoin. So kick back, relax, light one up, and enjoy the episode. Take care. You're listening to the only place on the internet that offers the perfect blend of high-quality premium cigars and cryptocurrency news and commentary. Welcome to Cigars and Crypto. Now here's your host, Invest Noir. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Cigars and Crypto. Let me tell you, I am so elated to have Elsa Ramon with me today. Elsa, how are you? I'm doing great. I love the (laughs) (laughs) Ramon. You know, it's hard for some people to do that. I, I, in fact, I usually just say my name Ramon. Sometimes I'll say Ramon. You know, when I know people will be um, responsive to it, but it's it's usually I find that. It's not that people don't want to say it or pronounce it that way. It's just that it's difficult to get that that roll of the tongue to get the R. So I don't fault anyone <laughs> for not saying it that way. But you did it. You did it perfectly. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. So, Elsa, tell me about yourself. How did you get into crypto? Um, <laughs> well, I, I consider the day that I got into crypto like uh, an epiphany or an aha moment. And that was in around February of 2018. I was working at the CBS station in Los Angeles as an anchor and a reporter. I've been doing that for over 20 years um, at the major networks, mostly in the desert Southwest and Phoenix and Dallas and my hometown, Los Angeles. And I was asked to emcee an event um, by a friend who had a friend who was deeply into crypto. This friend um, was hosting a, a crypto Q&A just on his own. Uh, he's a technologist. He is heavily into programming and IT and blockchain and crypto. Very smart guy. So my friend said, look, this guy is putting on this panel for anyone who wants to come to ask questions about what they think they know about crypto, Bitcoin, blockchain, what they want to know about it. Um, And he needs someone to kind of help, you know, get the program along like an MC, Mistress of Ceremonies. And I said, sure, absolutely. I'll do it. You know, and, and I knew nothing about this space. I knew what Bitcoin was. I knew that it was a cryptocurrency. That's it. That was, my limited knowledge of, <laughs> of Bitcoin. So when I went to MC this event, uh, I got the rundown of who was going to be on the panel. And my friend's friend, who was the one who needed me to MC this, 
had a good selection of people. He had like a, a crypto tax attorney up there. He had a, uh, a blockchain um, programmer. Uh, he had developers himself. He had a, a crypto, somebody who's a lawyer in the space who could answer questions too. So he had a, a wide range of people on this panel to answer questions. And there ended up being about 60 or 70 people that came, just friends of friends. Uh, Sounds like a good nothing. turnout. It was great. It was at a winery in Temecula. So it was fantastic. <laughs> I have <laughs> been to Temecula. Really- <laughs> it is a beautiful place. Yeah, isn't it? It's a great, it's a, it's just a beautiful area with lots of vineyards, a good place to run away to, at least if only for a few days. <laughs> so uh, I ended up, and while I'm there introducing each person on the panel, I was listening and the light bulb went on, the light switch flipped. That was my aha moment because I was looking around the room at everybody and trying to see their reactions to what they were learning about and wondering if they were feeling the same way I was, which was, oh my God, are you guys hearing this? This is The, the possibilities are endless with this technology and, <laughs> and with Bitcoin and, and what it could do. My mind just started like, you know, like a web. It just started branching out in a bazillion different directions of all the ways it could possibly be applied and used and um, just how it could change industries and disrupt everything that we know. And I just wasn't getting the sense that everybody there was feeling the same way, but I was. And um, that was it. That was the moment. And from that moment on, I really thought, I want to be in this space. I want to be in it somehow. But, you know, I've been an on-air journalist for 20 years. How am I going to parlay that into this space that I feel like I'm a fish out of water? I was a lit major at UC Irvine in Southern California. I'm not a, a, a developer, techie, technologist. I mean, to me, it just felt like uh, this world I've never been in and, and was very intimidating to me. Yeah. So we, the, the person who did put on the event, I became friends with him. And it turns out his mother was a viewer of my newscast. So she knew who I was. And we became friends and started talking. And he was so gracious, started teaching me everything that he knows and he knows a lot about this space and I pitched the idea of how about we do a show that has content that normalizes what this is all about and after talking about it for months and months and months and pitching the stories that I would be going after the type of stories I'd be going after he he loved it and he ended up investing so I was able to leave the network I was able to leave CBS and television journalism and at least use the skills that I have and, and parlay that into this space. And that's what I've been doing since we have been shooting stories. Our company's called adventures in crypto LLC. And we've been uh, the last year and a half traveling the world, traveling the country, um, shooting stories that, that are just really human centered, uh, how people see it applying to them, how they see it applying to the world and, and, and showing ways that it's applying to the world. So I've been in, in it now for about a year and a half and I, I would make the same decision a hundred percent again, all over again. It's been fascinating. You know, that's a beautiful story. It's so ironic how people 
from so many disparate and diverse backgrounds can have so much in common or something so strong in common that nothing else is in common, but they have that one thing that brings them into the space. It's ironic. You know, my undergraduate degree is in radio broadcast journalism. And I have never. I'm not surprised, by the way. <laughs> I, when I heard your voice for the first time, I was like, "What are you doing? This is this is so up your alley. This is great. You should be uh, <laughs> on on radio." But you know, again, that's uh, you've moved on to the future, which is podcasting, which is great because you definitely have the voice right oh, away when you, you said hello. I was like, "Oh, this guy's radio." <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. You know, honestly. When I was in college, the only jobs I could get were IT jobs. And so hmm. when, I, when I graduated, I uh, worked at a radio station here in Delaware. And I also had a part-time job doing technical support for a company back in the day called MindSpring. Um, they were a dial-up internet provider. And I made more money 20 hours a week working for MindSpring than I did working full-time for the radio station. So it was a no-brainer <laughs> yeah. for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you fast forward yes. 22 years and now here I am. I still have an IT job. I make really good money doing what I'm doing, but I love this podcasting thing. I love the podcast. I love talking to people. I love learning from people. I love listening to people. And there's this, this unique commonality amongst folks who come from some, you know, from different backgrounds and uh, they all fall into the space exact same way. I, I loved your uh, Neo moment and I call it a Neo mm -hmm. moment because that's when, uh, you, yeah. <laughs> that's when you chose exactly the blue and the red saying. pill, right? You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was my red pill moment. <laughs> right. Right. So I love that moment. You know, I love um, how people get into the space like, oh my God, am I the only one who knows this? Because I fell into the space the exact same way, completely by accident at the time. Um, I was traveling back and forth between Atlanta and San Diego, which is why I said I knew about Temecula. Uh, but I, I was traveling back and forth from Atlanta to San Diego. And when I'm buying my tickets, I see this option to pay for my flight in BTC. And I was like, what is BTC? So I didn't think anything about it. I just paid for my ticket, hopped on a flight. Then when I got to California, I said, you know what? I want to know what this BTC thing is because I know it's not a credit card. So what is it? And that was my red pill moment. That's when I fell down the rabbit hole. And I was like, wow, am I the only person who knows about this? And that was 2014. So fast forward five years, almost six years. And oh, wow. Uh, yeah, crypto is, is definitely uh, a part of who I am. Um, and I loved how you also mentioned not being a developer or a technologist, but using your skill sets to affect the space, to affect the fabric of the space by bringing your expertise to bear, to, to usher in adoption for people. You know, I had a discussion a couple of weeks ago, ago with someone and uh, they're a developer, of course, and they believe that it's developers that are bringing people into the space. And I had to correct her. I said, no, it's not developers who are bringing people into the space. It's people like me, content providers who bring people into the space. Uh -huh. You keep them, you keep them here. When right. you create, you know what I mean? When you create a good user experience, a good user interface, then people stay. 
but they come based on the things that we say to them. We're the best marketing and salespeople that you could ever ask for because we do it for free. <laughs> right, right. And, and, you know, you, well, you had the benefit too of kind of having um, that, that IT background so it didn't intimidate you. But you also have a very human side where you wanted to be in communications and radio where you have to know how to talk to people if you're going to interview them and relate to them and have them relate to you, right? You want to be able to tell stories that makes them say, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah, I see that. You know, I, I don't want to, and I know you don't either, uh, I definitely don't slight the developers and the, the technological minds behind all of this because they, I, to me, they are superhuman. I feel like these people who are um, making this happen and making the technology happen and advancing the technology and building something that almost nobody on this planet can do uh, unless they have their skill set, they're amazing. They're, they're these uh, technical superheroes to me, especially since this is something I feel like I could not do. I don't think that way, and I'm not, uh, that's not my constitution, um, you know, so I, I applaud them and I admire them deeply. But I think there's... Uh, a space for those of us who can normalize what they're working on and turn it into human use cases through stories. And those are the things, like you said, are going to connect with people. I always ask, you know, when somebody's starting to dip their toes into it and they're very intimidated, just like I was, felt like, boy, I'm, I'm really stupid. I don't, I don't know how to program and I don't know what all this stuff means. What is hash rate? And, uh, uh, you know, how does the, the, the blockchain work again? And why do, do I need to know all this to deserve its benefits? And, you know, and I realized, well, apply that thinking to something else. Like when the car was invented, did everybody have to know how to engineer a car piece by piece and put it all together to deserve its benefits? Right. Do you have to know how, uh, you know, an ATM works to deserve to put your card in and get your money out? No, most people don't give a thought to what happens under the hood in the engine of a car or behind the face of an ATM, what's going on back there to get the end result. They just know that the end result is going to help them. And that's what I want to convey to people. I want them to be able to see that you don't have to be this person who's an extremely intelligent engineer and think that way and, and live and breathe that way to deserve what this will do for our lives. And so when I explain it that way, people, I, I tend to get the reaction of, okay, I, I see what you're saying, but then they still need examples of how this technology and how Bitcoin can help them. So what I'm doing is shooting stories like um, I shot a story with uh, a company called Lolly, which I think a lot of people in the space know about. It's oh, still yeah. trying to work its way into mainstream, right? But it's doing it. And I, I noticed when they first kicked off on Twitter um, and I saw what they were doing, I knew immediately this is a story I wanted to do because it was such an easy, no-brainer way to get people 
into Bitcoin without them feeling threatened or scared or intimidated because it was based on something that we do anyway all the time, which is a reward-based program for the places we shop, right? We get points or, uh, you know, credits or whatever it is for our favorite places we shop and we get to apply them, all those points and credits to our purchases or whatever, you know, he, he, Alex Edelman, who, who put this, is one of the co-founders of this company, I interv- who I interviewed, um, saw that, that it was just such a low-risk, easy way for people to just have a, a, a very easy experience earning Bitcoin. And the best part about it is, say, you know, you shop at Old Navy and you get all those points back to put towards a future purchase, that's great, but at least with Wally, all these places you shop, you get Satoshi's or, you know, as we know, little bits of Bitcoin. Um, and you get to either, if you want to cash out into fiat, you can. If you want to use it and keep it in your wallet and let it grow, your digital wallet, uh, and let it grow, you can do that too. And um, I just thought I knew they were going to hit it out of the park. So I was really happy to get that chance to interview them uh, this past year at Consensus in New York. Another uh, company I'm impressed with is Coinstar because they got it too, a low risk way for people to be introduced into Bitcoin by putting machines in select parts of the country where you can cash out in your native currency dollars here in the U.S. or you can dump your coins in your extra pocket change and and cash out in Bitcoin and it'll help you set up a digital wallet right there. So those are the kinds of stories I like to do because that's easy for people to relate to. Oh, I have that big jar of coins in my, you know, from pocket change all year in my, in my bathroom or room or wherever. I'm going to take it to the coin star and dump it in and yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll buy a little bit of Bitcoin, you know, with Lolly. Oh, I shop at Walmart all the time. I, you know, maybe I should earn some Bitcoin back. And I just, those are the people I feel that get it and are going to be instrumental to um, the adoption of this way of life. And I love profiling those people. So those are the stories we're going after um, as well. Yeah. Alex is such an infectious personality. Uh, I had a chance to talk with him on my show as well. And he, and did his, you find him so passionate, which he, is great. He's right? Awesome. <laughs> he really believes in what he's doing. And you're left after the discussion feeling just as if not more enthusiastic about Lolly and about Bitcoin than he is. And I tweeted that a couple of weeks ago, like this guy is just, he's going to knock this out of the park, man. This is exactly what we need in Bitcoin, a seamless way for people not to even have to think about how to stack sets. They just do it. If you're an online shopper, this is the perfect way to do it. Perfect way. And which, you know, you know, I mean, it's just part of our everyday lives now, for the most part, for most people to buy stuff online. I'm sure it's part of your life. My life, it just makes things easier. And why not? Indeed. You know what's ironic? Go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. I was just saying, so I know you can appreciate the value of that. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's ironic. I I got a gift card from my employer um, for Christmas. And they have like 125 different places where you can shop. 
and I <laughs> purposely <laughs> went out and found retailers that Lolly supports so that I can stack sets. And it's a it's that change in behavior that is subconscious that will create the type of adoption that we have yet to see, that we have never seen before. You know, and I think Lolly's right on the pulse of uh, of America and the world and where we need to be with uh, creating adoption for people. So look, do me a favor. Tell me about adventures in crypto. I know that you said earlier you've already done two stories with Coinstar and with Lolly, but tell me about adventures in crypto. So uh, so some of the stuff that we shoot um, and tell uh, the stories that we tell are for web content only, and some of it are going to go to ideally uh, a pilot for uh, a show, some kind of show that provides that human content, that that human connection with Bitcoin and the technology. And um, so, you know, the stories like that I did with Alex, we do have on our website and we have uh, on our various social media channels, whatever. And I, and I want people to be able to easily find that. But we also went out of the country um, to various places to show people's attitudes towards Bitcoin and crypto in other countries and their attitudes toward the technology and how they see it applying to their lives. And I found that doing this, that depending on how marginalized uh, a society is or a community is, they will see the use of the technology different than maybe someone in a neighboring country or here in the United States. I have found in the past year and a half that people here in the U.S. that are learning about it and going down the rabbit hole are seeing it as an investment and also a way to streamline industries like agriculture industry, healthcare industry, um, you know, authentication uh, industries for art and and uh, luxury goods, that type of thing. We see it benefiting us in this way and also as a way for people to um, save and become, uh, have the potential to really invest and, and benefit from Bitcoin. Whereas when I traveled to Spain, uh, when I was there last year, we happened to be there on the day of independence, which is a huge rally and protest. Um, if you know what's going on between Spain and Catalonia, how Catalonia basically wants sovereignty from Spain. And, and there's a big fight over that. They want their own government. They want to be recognized as a sovereign nation. Yeah. And they also want Barcelona included in their, uh, in Catalonia as their sovereign nation. Obviously that would be detrimental to Spain. Bar Barcelona is a huge uh, tourism uh, attraction, lots of money coming in. To Barcelona, but it's, it's not just that. It's everything. C Catalonia wants to create its own political structure. It wants to um, be separate of Spain. And so there's a lot of tension building between the two governments, uh, the newly formed governments and newly elected people on, uh, on the Catalonia side. And then, of course, the, the Spaniards who see them I feel at least the impression I got there as really this big nuisance that's causing a lot of trouble and disruption. 
and that's what they're doing. It is a disruption, but they're doing it so that for for multiple reasons, there's a long history behind uh, why Catalonia wants to do this. But so when I was there, um, the Catalans saw uh, Bitcoin and blockchain as a way to gain that sovereignty from Spain and separate themselves. I talked to um, people in the Catalan government who are actually creating positions within the government for blockchain uh, research and development and within the government, within their structure, they are actually weaving this into the structure of their government and they're hoping to build this technology from the inside out so that it'll help them with their mission to be sovereign from Spain, to become sovereign from Spain. So, you know, they see it as a, as a way to be free of Spain and operate on their own. I don't, you know, whereas here in America, we're thinking, hey, man, we're getting sacked back. We're shopping on Lolly and, and go, shopping at our favorite stores. So I feel that I'm starting to see that it really applies to whatever is affecting them at the time, whatever, uh, however they are marginalized or however they need help streamlining. Um, we went to Japan and I was surprised to find that, yeah, Bitcoin, I think for the most part, people in Japan knew what Bitcoin was uh, and, and they were not uh, strangers to it. But still a lot of people there, I thought Japan would definitely be the place where it was just on the tip of everyone's tongue and, and not so much yet, uh, not the technology yet, but it's, it's, it's coming. And there are, I was able to interview um, former politicians <clears throat> in Japan and professors who are spearheading the effort to bring blockchain to Japan and, and, and apply it in their industries as well. Um, so it's been interesting to see that. I also, back here at home, uh, visited an Indian reservation that is developing their own um, coin, their own currency, and they want their own blockchain to be able to, to use the currency. But for them, the blockchain is also about voting rights and land rights, things that are very important to the Native Americans um, for the struggles that they've been through with the U.S. government for several hundred years. and so for them to be able to see in real time what blockchain can do to create a fair voting system and a valid voting system and that their voices can be heard and that their land can be, um, you know, they can prove that this land belongs to them. They, they, they see it as, as a way to have a freedom to and sovereignty as well. So really I have determined like in the last year and a half that it, what this can do really depends on how marginalized uh, people are. And, um, and, and it, it, so when you think of it that way and you apply it globally, all over the world, people have different needs and different desires and different political motivations. And it's just amazing to me how adaptable this technology is that no matter what your background, what your financial situation, what your political affiliation or association is, uh, you know, what country you're in, this is going to change the way people live. And so I love being able to tell those stories, tell those stories and bring those stories to people. And those are the stories that we've shot uh, so far and that we're putting together. And I, I really 
excited and proud of it and, and can't wait to keep rolling them out. But in the meantime, we've been shooting stories in between that we've been posting so that people just get a sense for who we are and why we're doing this and uh, do some cool stories back here at home uh, so that people can start putting us on their radar. Yeah, definitely. You know, you said two things that kind of resonated with me. You were talking about the indigenous reservation wanting to have a blockchain uh, for land and deed records and having financial sovereignty. You know, uh, Mazacoin did the exact same thing, I believe it was in 2014, where they were, if I'm not mistaken, part of the Lakota uh, peoples, and they started a coin for the exact same reason that you're discussing. And um, you also talked about how blockchain and crypto has different use cases based on the conditions and circumstances that people are going through. You know, when I was in Aruba, uh, I had a chance uh, chance to visit this place called uh, Linda's Dutch House of Pancakes. I think that was the name of the place. And <laughs> it was the only place. You got me a pancake. It was the only place on the island that I could find uh, via coin radar that accepted Bitcoin. And when I talked to the owner and I asked him why they accepted Bitcoin, he said, because we're only 16 miles away from Venezuela. So people take boats Ah. across the channel. They come to Aruba and they buy supplies and they use Bitcoin to do that. And so it really kind of struck me how this person was functioning as an intermediary for people to get basic goods that they needed. I'm not talking about luxury cars and boats and stuff. These people are coming for toiletries, for diapers, for deodorant, powdered milk, and they're using crypto. They're converting their Venezuelan bolivars into crypto. And this guy is accepting them and providing them with the merchandise that they need to go back to the country and live a decent, you know, and survive. I don't even want to say live a decent life, but just to survive, you know, it's it's really ironic how uh, what you said, you know, is true. No no matter where you are, um, whatever is affecting you at the moment is what will impact the reason why you use cryptocurrency. So, Elsa, let me ask you one last question. Sure. Where do you see the future of Bitcoin and blockchain technology in the next three to five years? I see things happening pretty fast. Um, I think that we're seeing signs everywhere, if you're keeping an eye on it, that there are the technology and and Bitcoin is starting to really make its way into mainstream. And now for people like you who've been around since you said, I think 2014, you know, I'm sure that seems like a lifetime because I've only been around in it since 2018. And I feel like I've lived a hundred (laughs) lives. So I can imagine how you feel, but you know, so for, for most people, they don't realize how Bitcoin started and how it's been 11 years. Um, since we've seen uh, the the start of Bitcoin and and blockchain, most people have just lived their lives completely unaware that this whole movement was happening. And now that it's 
I knew that once it hit mainstream media, because I was part of the mainstream media for 20 years, that that was it. This was, it was kind of like the fuse was lit. Um, even though the, the grumblings and the working and all the, the effort and sweat equity behind it has been happening for the past 11 years, people are just now going, oh, I'm seeing this on mainstream TV. You see Bloomberg, you see CNBC, you see Forbes, they all have a crypto section for on their websites and their apps and in their shows. And they have uh, crypto people and, and people who are leading the way in, in technology, uh, t- blockchain technology companies. They're, when they start creeping into mainstream media like that, that to me is a signal that this is going to take off very fast. In three years, I think we're going to see um, uh, uh, more adoption through programs like Lolly because I think retailers and these other companies are going to start to realize that they're going to miss the boat. Maybe if, even if they don't believe so much in Bitcoin, they're going to lose out on customers. So they're going to start to realize, I believe, that they're going to have to somehow get involved in this game. Uh, to to stay alive and to adapt and to stay afloat. So I think we're going to start seeing a lot more things that we rely on in our everyday life, uh, our everyday lives uh, start uh, warming up to the idea of having us earn sats the way uh, Lolly does. Um, You know, the stores that we frequent, maybe grocery stores, that would be nice. Um, You know, uh, just putting it out there, Ralph. (laughs) And, um, uh, you know, so I see that happening in three years, but in, uh, also we're seeing evidence with um, some of the institutional financial organizations, Fidelity, and um, and some of those other uh, investment companies starting to at least entertain the idea of putting crypto in portfolios and researching it and doing some test cases and that types of uh, that type of thing. So I think in three to five years, our lives, especially in five years, are are going to be. <laughs> I don't, and I say this in a good way. Maybe in some parts, not recognizable, or not even just in five years, we're going to say, "Wow, boy, can you can you remember when we did that this way five years ago? Gosh, how did we ever live without it? You know, kind of the way the way you know it's always compared with the internet." Once the internet made it mainstream, I just remember when I learned about it, I was like, holy cow, this thing is crazy. You know, it was, it was so much fun. It was so interesting. And I just feel like that we're at that stage where, where the internet was just coming out and everyone's like, whoa, have you heard of email? And this is kind of cool. And it just boom, took off. Right. And changed our lives forever. I, I feel like in three to five years, that's where we're going to be with this. Elsa, you are amazing. You have made me very happy this evening. I am so happy (laughs) to have spoken to you. Thank you for sharing your time with me. Um, Promise me that you will come back on the show whenever you have updates, whenever you're doing anything new, or if you just feel like talking crypto and maybe cigars with me. How about that? Oh, you know what? That's the whole reason when I saw you ask, first of all, I was honored because I, I just love to talk about it. I'm sure like you do, it's, you're so passionate about it. You, anyone who asks you about it, you, you don't mind sitting down and talking for <laughs> a few hours because you want to, you know, impassion them too, right? 
Exactly. So I, I would be honored if I could come on again at some point in the future. And I would be even more honored if we could have cigars and martinis together and conversations. You know, that would be a great podcast if we could actually have cigars and martinis together and have a, a couple of people in on the podcast and, and all having cigars and martinis and having just this big discussion about what we have fallen in love with. That sounds like a fantastic idea. I'm going <laughs> to I'm I'm hold you to that too, okay? I'm in. <laughs> great. Ladies I'm and in. gentlemen, Elsa Ramon, thank you so much for joining me this evening. Promise me you'll have a good one, okay? I sure will. You too.